0: isn't everyone tired of hustling? Like I just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sort of fed up with it.
1: the Future Podcast. I am your host, Chris Doe, and I'm joined by
2: my lovely producer, Greg Gunn. Hey, Greg. Hey, Chris. I did not know you thought I was lovely. Yes, you are. That is a delightful thing to say. Thank you. I'm glad to have your help on this. Of course. So uh, what's going on with this episode? Well, funny you should ask. In this
1: episode, I talked to acclaimed author Austin Cleon about a couple of his books that I absolutely love, Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work. Our conversation was so meaty that we're breaking this into two parts so that you can enjoy as much of Austin as we did. In this first part, Austin and I discuss his background, what changed the game for him, and why he hates the term side hustle. Mm.
2: Wait, what? what's wrong with the term side hustle? Do we do we not use it anymore?
1: Well, you're going to have to tune in to find out, Greg.
2: Okay. All right. So you ready to do this? I am. Let's do this. Without further
1: ado, please enjoy this conversation with Austin Cleon.
0: My name's Austin Cleon, and I'm a writer who draws. I make books with pictures and art with words. Okay. Um, First, I'm reading in here
1: uh, off your site. It says, positively, one of the most interesting people on the internet from the Atlantic. (laughs) That's high praise. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) And there's this other one here from the business insider. Cleon isn't a prototypical business guru. He's an artist who has some fantastic insights about creativity. I've seen your TED talk. I saw your talk at Bond and also your Chase Jarvis interview. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, Are are you, um, how how do you describe yourself in your own mind, not the writer that draws, but do you see yourself more as a visual person or a person who lets you think with words?
0: Mm, It's both, and Mm. that's sort of the whole point, um, that they sort of come together. And anytime I try to let one lead, Uh, that's usually a mistake. It's usually best if I sort of let them um, sort of talk to each other Mm -hmm. and hang out together. But, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm probably more of a writer than a visual artist. Um, I'm sort of trained as a writer. Uh, My actual, you know, formal education is for writing and I think of myself as primarily a reader. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that probably tilts me towards the words a little bit more. Like, I certainly don't make any art without words in it. Mm. Um, But my work gets richer and more interesting when I really try to keep the two uh, going together.
1: That's, That's perfect. It's queuing me up for my next question here, which is, Something that I try to help creative people with is to find their superpower, to to not try to be the designer who's being a writer, or a writer who's trying to be a designer, but to embrace all the parts that make them unique and powerful. Uh, I'm, I'm asking you here to try to predict something that you may not be able to answer, but <laughs> what ha- what do you think is the big draw or appeal of the way that you think?
0: I think I've gotten really lucky in terms of uh, contextually, historically, Like I think that I sort of started my blogging, I started a blog in like 2005, you know, I was right out of college. And I think that blogs were sort of a proven medium for creative expression by then, but the field wasn't so sort of saturated yet that, I, you know, you couldn't sort of get your you know, your foot in the door. And so that was helpful audience wise. But as far as the actual content of what I talk about, I think we're at this, um, you know, we're at a moment where people are just sort of interested in, you know, one, there's sort of an economy, amazingly, around creative work. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I think people are very interested in sort of, I don't know, like, I I think it's a sort of omnivorous time as far as there's so much out there. And I think that people are sort of looking for filters. They're looking for like sort of trusted people to kind of sort through a lot of stuff for them and sort of serve them up interesting, you know, ideas and sources. And I think, That's probably where my early training as a librarian comes in really handy. I was a librarian for a couple of years in a public library right Mm -hmm. out of college, uh, sort of at the same time that I was doing my blog. And so this idea of sort of like being a, I don't want to call myself a curator, but this sort of resource for people um, in terms of I sort of you know, go through all this stuff and then I serve up the kind of tasty bits to people. I think that's sort of part of the job. But I think, that, you know, I don't think I could have this career without the internet and that both makes me happy but also sort of a little, oh, I can't think of the word. Right, I don't know if it's wistful or not, but I think the internet has turned into such an awful place Uh, As far as with social media, Mm -hmm. that um, it sort of bums me out to think about if I was coming up right now, like if I was trying to get a lot of attention towards my stuff, I don't I don't really know that I would want to spend a lot of time trying to do that right now. So it's kind of I I think everyone sort of arrives. I think timing is really important in creative careers, and I don't think it's something you can plan for. Mm -hmm. I think you either get lucky or you, you don't.
1: When I look at your books, um, I'm, I'm drawn in by the economy of words. That It's obvious that you spent time really being very selective and judicious in your editing, and I really appreciate that. I read a lot of books myself, and I find that sometimes there's two or three ideas in a book, and they just say it over and over again because <laughs> maybe they feel compelled that they have to hit a certain word count or it's not going to be considered... Um, there's there's not a lot of credibility if it's if it's a light book but there's an incredible amount of knowledge and and sharing and wisdom and inspiration that's contained just in how spare you you choose to write can you talk about that a little bit
0: i think that comes from the kind of books i like to read i like books that are short and choppy and have a lot of different ideas in them um i like books that are sort of have the feeling of almost being like a collage like texture I'm really influenced by Quentin Fiore and when Marshall McLuhan when they did those kind of crazy paperbacks in the 70s I was really influenced by them when I made steel like an artist and I'm I love children's picture books mm. a lot too mm. and I think that I thought for a long time that you know, I, I sort of started conceiving of my books as picture books for adults, which isn't quite right, but that's sort of how I think of them. And, and I think for me, I'm someone who likes to say something in as few words as possible. Working on poetry will do that too. Mm-hmm. for, you know, to you. Um, I have sort of a, a poet's attitude towards economy, and then as far as the books are thrown together, I just that's sort of how I I just like those kinds of books. I like I like really fast, meaty books that jump a lot and kind of have um, a lot of texture to them, and they go quick. You know, they're quick reads, and um, I sort of when I think about books and how they're put together. In some ways I'm more influenced by music and how albums are sequenced than by other books. When I was making Steel Like an Artist, I wanted it to read like Wire's album Pink Flag. I wanted it to be like that album, every song is like a minute or two And and there's like thirty songs, and Mm -hmm. it just comes really hard and fast at you. But Wire's a little different than the Ramones in that they have like different tempos and stuff. So I was thinking a lot about, you know, I wanted show your work show your work when I first you know started working on that. I wanted it to be like the White Album. I wanted it to be a lot of like short or weird. I wanted it to be a lot woolier than it ended up being. Mm -hmm. So you know, I sort of for me, like I'm really. I think a lot about the reader when I put these books together and I say put these books together because they feel more like assemblages to me than they than they are like you know I I I I put together a lot of stuff and I think that's why they feel like you know that there's a lot in there but they're quick and easy to read. You know, I get really frustrated with the kind of books that you're talking about which are very You know, it's that book that you get in the business section at the airport and it has three ideas in it and there's a hundred pages for each idea. Like for me, I'm more about let's put a hundred ideas in one book and only give them three pages a piece. Mm -hmm, You know, that's. mm that's the kind of book that I like to write. Mm. Um, And it's the kind of, because again, it's the kind of book that I really like to read. Um, But, you know, honestly, as far as commercially, I think there's actually, you'd be surprised what a market there is for those books that have one idea and kind of, you know, beat it into the ground for 300 pages.
1: Right. (laughs) It seems like the majority of the books are written that way,
0: right? Yeah. Well, because that's sort of how the business works. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a nonfiction writer, You have an agent and you pitch a big book idea and it starts with a book proposal and you're supposed to know how the whole book goes and how it's all laid out for you. But when you sell the book and then that, okay, and then you just sit down and it's just like you're supposed to write this thing that you, you know, sort of this thing you came up with. And the reason that a lot of people write books, of course, is so they can, you know, go to, you know, some corporation and give a talk about the book. You know, here's, oh, hello. You know, hello IBM. Uh, <laughs> here's uh, here's my ten. You know, and I yeah. do that too. I mean, yeah. I go, I go to a corporate office, and I mean, not as much as I'd like, because uh, I like the money involved. But right. you know, it's like, I mean, that's sort of the deal with nonfiction publishing, and it's extremely boring, and it leads to a lot of mediocre books, mm-hmm. and. I don't begrudge any of those writers for doing those books because that's how you make a living in Mm. this business. But Mm. for me, um, I'm really lucky in that, uh, I sort of, my publisher workman does these kind of wonderful, they have this niche in publishing where they do these kind of self-help, um, self-help illustrated gift books. And if you're someone like me, that can actually be really freeing to work in uh, a genre that a lot of people don't think super highly of because no one really it like you're allowed to like, I have hands on in all the aspects of my books. Mm -hmm. Like I make the pictures, I write the words, I draw the, you know, I I help with the design. Um, And so it actually affords me this remarkable freedom to sort of use all of my self in the work. And I, I think I I I usually talk to when I talk to younger writers or younger designers or younger creative people, I do sort of emphasize like, look, if your dream is to be a novelist, go do that for sure. But if your dream is just to write, there are so many different genres and forms that you can write in. Um, just focus on the writing because I was someone who I didn't really care, you know, what I was doing as long as I got to explore ideas with pictures and words together, you mm-hmm. know, and I just got lucky that there is this format of book that is not only commercially viable, it ends up being like really creatively interesting for me to work on.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you've mentioned a couple of things. Uh, my notebook is uh, our notepad is getting filled here with things that I want to <laughs> Circle back on, but the thing that you you mentioned not that long ago is uh, about how writers make a living, and now you have not one but two and probably three soon to be best selling New York Times books. Can we talk a little bit about how you make your living and be as transparent as you care to be?
0: yeah, remarkably, I make the majority of my living off book sales, which is. Extremely rare. It doesn't happen a lot. I would say the majority of people who do what I do either make the majority of their living through speaking or teaching or, you know, having some sort of merch business. Mm -hmm. And so it's Extremely, I'm extremely lucky in that I would say this year it was probably 80% of my income came from wow. uh, book sales. So I'm actually not doing as much speaking right now as I, as I have before. Mm-hmm. And part of that's for, it's for a lot of different reasons, but I have two young children. Um, and so I like to be around. I like to be home a lot and help out with them. And I don't like to travel as much as I Used to do. And I also went on book tour this year, which took up two months of our lives. And so, you know, things ebb and flow. I mean, I, as a creative person, uh, as a creative, whatever, uh, business person, I would like to reverse that. Actually, I would like to make the majority of my money by selling artwork and t-shirts and mugs or whatever and uh and uh and doing speaking Mm -hmm. um because that would be a little bit more reliable and predictable than uh the book market but i'm really lucky right now and so the way i make more money now is i get to just write another book my (laughs) my son has this completely uh my son thinks that when you need money you can just write a book which is (laughs) i wonder where he would get that idea Yeah. He has the most, um, (laughs) he has the most backwards, completely inaccurate, uh, (laughs) view of publishing of, of anyone alive, I think. Um, so I, so yeah, but I've just been really lucky in that, um, I, you know, the book sales are keeping us, you know, comfortable right now. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's great because that is what i really like to do. I really like to put books together. I mean, it's a pain in my ass. I mean, i hate i i hate, would rather just blog and send out my newsletter right. and give the occasional talk. That would be a lot easier. Mm. Um but uh but um putting books together is the thing that sort of that provides the real meaning mm. uh, to my work. That's that's what that's what uh i think um that's that's what I'm sort of truly good at, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but um, yeah. And it will always, you know, and and um, I'm trying to think about your listeners and what they would find interesting. I mean, you know, it wasn't always that way at all. I mean, it used to be that I had a. I mean, when my first book came out, it was a poetry book, and I made like thirty-eight thousand dollars a year at the law school. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just and I was a web designer and um. You know, and I, I barely, I think our first, I think the first book we sold got us enough money to put together a tiny down payment for our affordable housing here in Austin, you know, (laughs) and so it's just like sort of grown from that. And when Steel Like an Artist came out, um, before that book sort of took off, I had a years, I used to make like, (laughs) I think I made like $50,000 a year as a copywriter. And I just, you know, I had like a year's salary saved, and I quit my job so I could go on book tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the kind of money I was making, uh, mm-hmm. which you know, it's I lived off of it, but it was, um, you know, it it was it was making a pretty pretty modest living, but I had good benefits, mm-hmm. you know, um, before I sort of tried to do this book you know, this book business stuff, so. Um,
1: Boy, I have it, so many questions, I, I don't mean to interrupt, yeah, sure. but it's like, no, that's okay. uh, there's so many things I wanna follow up with you on. Okay, so, you're, you're working a job, a job, as many people yeah. are in our audience, and then you have this idea, like, I wanna make something, I wanna express myself, and so this mm-hmm. is what we often refer to as side hustle. So yeah. You, you write this first I, book. I believe the first book is Newspaper Blackout. Yeah. Right?
0: I, yeah. I hate that word, by the way. I hate you the hate side hustles. What, what stuff. word would you prefer? Yeah. I can't stand it. <laughs> i it just my, just, just, um, it wasn't a side hustle. Like a poetry book isn't a side hustle. You know, like you, if you, if poetry is your side hustle, you're a moron. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't do it for a side hustle. I did it because that's the, that was like, For me, see, like, uh, so this is interesting. Well, this is interesting for me because Mm. it's not even a passion project. Like, my heroes when I was younger were all poets and they all had day jobs. Like, Philip Larkin ran a library. Like, Wallace Stevens worked in an insurance company. Like, you go on down the line. Like, my heroes were poets to their souls, but they you can't make a living on poetry. So they just had like good day jobs that they just went to. And so for me, like a day job was sort of a foregone conclusion. I knew when I was younger, um, that the kind of work I wanted to do, I just never in a million years thought it would be remotely commercially viable. Um, what this stuff was, was my life, Mm, you know, poetry, poetry, Was poetry, art, writing. That was my life. The side hustle was the day job. I get it. You know, the day job was the thing I was doing to make money. So sometimes when people talk about side hustles, like for me, that's a a side hustle is like a very calculated thing where you like sit down, you're like, look, if I start selling these tchotchkes for this much and I can move this much merch, like I can, you know what I mean? It's like a very calculated thing. For me, um, you know, this stuff wasn't, it was, that was what my life was. The Mm -hmm. day job was just what got me money. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I know that's nitpicky, but I just, I feel very responsible to tell young people now, that I've had like a 10 year publishing career. I, how unplanned this was, I always try to emphasize all the time about how I didn't plan on any of this. I was just ready for it. You know, there's a difference. Like, there's a difference between planning, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a best selling book, and then I'm going to quit my job and, like, you know, have this career. There's like a difference between that and being like, well, I would like to put out books. And if one hits, then maybe I'll adjust my life. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I just I I always want to emphasize to people like just how and and maybe this is my own shortcoming as a business person. Like I just didn't I didn't do this to I didn't I didn't plan on this career and I didn't even really want it in some ways. Um, but like it came to me and I was just ready for it. You, you know what I mean.
1: I see. I mean, I love that you're fired up about it and the passion I can hear in your voice. And I would expect nothing less from you. Well,
0: I'm not fired up about it. I just really like the side hustle thing has just gotten to this point where it's just like, you know, people shouldn't have to hustle. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a country in which, like, you know, I just... Isn't everyone tired of hustling? Like, I just... I'm just I'm just I'm just sort of fed up with it. And I get it. And I know it's important to other people, but it's just not. It's just something for me that I just you know, I I made poetry at night not because it was a side hustle, it's because it was keeping me alive. You know, it was keeping me from hating my life. Mm. It was keeping me from, you know, here I was working this, you know, I was working this job and it was a fine job and the people there were really nice and like I had good benefits and I was taking care of my family, but like, who wants to go to work every day? No one, right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so like the art and the poetry and stuff, like that was my life. Mm-hmm. That, that was what kept me alive. You know, that's, that's the stuff. And that's, that's the thing I worry about today is that, you know, in our, you know, being creative is like pitched as this like thing that'll like, you know, you can, build this career. You can make all this money off it. And it's like, that was never the point for me. Being creative for me is like, you know, it makes life interesting enough that you don't want to jump off a bridge.
2: Okay. So we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back.
3: folks Ben Burns here if there's one thing that i've learned here at the future is that you guys this community of creatives you are insanely talented you guys help keep us in motion and we love your support if you want to keep hearing content like this consider investing in one of our courses toolkits and coaching sessions now if you are looking to set yourself apart as a designer i highly recommend learning typography Why? It is the foundation of how we all communicate and design can speak volumes. Our typography course is easily one of the most impactful things that we have made and Chris created it with everything he learned from his time at Art Center College of Design. So it's chock full of amazing insight. You're gonna learn the basics of type, how to work with grids, layout and application as you follow Chris throughout this course. Head to academy.thefuture.com to enroll and start using type like a pro.
2: Welcome back to our talk with Austin Cleon.
1: I wanted to ask you this question about the, the newspaper blackout. That book comes mm-hmm. out. And it affords you certain things, as you said, some some modest things. And it is is Steel Like an Artist then the, the thing that changes the game for you?
0: Newspaper Blackout came out, and I think it sold like, I don't know, six or 7,000 copies mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. It's, sold, like, it's hilarious because it's a poetry bestseller, but that just shows you how few <laughs> poetry books people buy. I mean, right. you know, um, and like you know, newspaper blackout came out and I was like, it got me, I got a new job after that came out and I was working in advertising and I, uh, the one cool thing about newspaper blackout is I kept getting, I would get asked to give these talks at colleges and, uh, there was one college that was looking for a speaker and I didn't really have like a, bureau or anything. I didn't have anyone helping me with the speaking. So I was so stupid. I asked them like, well, what, what have you paid your speakers in the past? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, well, we've paid this and this and this. And I, and I said, well, I'll take, and I named like a price, a thousand dollars less mm-hmm. than what they'd paid people. And that was how dumb I was. And they were like, great, you know, come talk. And, um, and, uh, still like an artist was literally just, I had had this series of blog posts called 25 quotes to help you steal like an artist. Like I was just collecting all these quotes by Mm. artists I admired who were using this word steal. And I was just sort of like, this is really weird and interesting to me. Like, and this is sort of when like, this is when Kirby Ferguson was coming out with like, everything is a remix. Brett Gaylor had just put out a remix manifesto. And so it was sort of in the air People were writing about remix culture and and that kind of thing. So I asked my wife, you know, what should I talk to these students about? And she was just like, I don't know. I mean, the best talk I ever heard at a school was this lady got up and told us 10 things she wished she had known when she was in school. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that sounds good. I'll just Mm -hmm. do that. And so I just like sort of went back on my blog and sort of scrolled around and, uh, and put together this talk and the talk went pretty well. I think it sailed better with the parents than the students like that were there at the, mm-hmm. at the school. Cause it was sort of like a convocation type thing. Um, and I just, after I gave the talk, I was like, man, that's really good. And no one's ever going to hear it again. And so I was like, ah, you know what, let's throw it up on the website. And so I took the texts and the slides, uh, from the, from the, po- um, from the talk and I just stuck it up on my website and it was the first thing that really truly went viral overnight. Like mm-hmm. it wrecked my website, you know, it took the servers down and wow. I had to get my buddy from the webs, you know, I, my old buddy, Adam Norwood from the uh, law school. I had to get him over, you know, to the house. I was like, you gotta come over to the house and help me migrate this site to a better <laughs> server <laughs> and you know, all that stuff. Internet. And, and yeah, I broke my own internet. Right. Um, and then, you know, so, but after that, you know, that's really when my agent, who's my agent now, um, I reached out to him and I had very stupidly after my poetry book came out, I had written him, uh, he's a, I have a mutual friend who, uh, my, my friend, Jessica Hagee said, Oh, you got to get my agent Ted Weinstein. He's mm-hmm. like, he's really, he's, he's great. And so I, Wrote him a letter, said, oh, you know, I really, I I noticed I put out this book and it did okay. I, I, I realize now I really need an agent. And he <laughs> sort of sent me this very terse, which I joke with him about all the time. He sent me this terse email back and he was like, Hey, kid, how do you think I make money? I make money by selling books. Like, you better hope this book sells really well. And when it does, like, come back to me when you have another idea and we can work together. (laughs) (laughs) And and so so I was like, oh, okay. But once still, like, an artist hit, I saw that he actually posted it on his Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to him. I said, hey, would you like to help me, you know, sell this? I think this, I've already heard from four editors. Like, would you help me, like would you help me pitch this to publishers? Mm-hmm. And so we threw together a book proposal and um, and that's sort of it, uh, you know. Um, and then Steel Like an Artist came out and, you know, it was kind of a quiet release at first. It was just sort of a book that, I mean, I remember when it hit the bestseller list, but it was just sort of this book that just sort of built, you know, just sort of built over time and just kind of, just kept, you know, I think it sells as much right now as it did, you know, two or three years in. So it's just like this crazy, it just kind of hit. And um, it's just, you just don't, you just can't plan on that. Um, But when I look back at that book, I mean, I think a huge part of why it works is just like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't know that there was a self-help genre even. I mean, I didn't know that there was this illustrated book genre. Mm -hmm. I was just like, let's turn this talk into a book. And like, you know, what books can we rip off to, you know, I had like a little stack of books that I, you know, sort of was was looking through all these books and like, well, what can we, you know, what can we borrow from and turn, you know? So it was, um, I sort of, the reason I think that book has so much energy and it really respond, you know, people respond to it is it's a lot like a band's first album in that it's sort of, you know, I always use the bat is like a bad metaphor, but I always say like, you know, you know, it's sort of like nevermind with Nirvana. Like they've put out a album before, but this is like, they're polished you know, nevermind comes out and it's got their really good stuff and it's polished and it comes out and it's just like takes over. So like still like an artist was just like, it was my good stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. I brought all my good stuff (laughs) and it was polished and workman did a great job. It was like the right price point. It was the right size. Mm -hmm. And it just like kind of took off, you know, but in hindsight, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. I was like 20. I wrote that book when I was like, uh, 27, You know, so I just didn't know what, I had no idea what I was doing.
1: Did you have expectations of the book before? Like, I'm trying to get in your Mm -mm. mind, right? I'm writing this book. It did well as a talk, and then I want to convert it to this blog post, and then it breaks my internet. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, you know, make this something. And then you put it out there. You send it out to the publisher. It's going to get printed. Yeah. What were your expectations? And then how long did it take before the minute it hit the stores to it becoming... A bestseller and it taking off
0: well um it came out and you know i had asked my my boss at the marketing agency for two months off unpaid because i wanted to go on book tour and the the place was up for sale and things were very like kind of the the things were a little tricky at work and so that wasn't really going to happen so um my wife was a student and so she had health insurance so i was just like oh well it's not going to be i've got like a year's salary saved up i'll go on book tour and after 2 months i'll just come back to austin and i'll just get another job and that's sort of what i thought i was going to do and by the time like i got back from book tour we I think we got our first royalty check from Steel and it was what I had saved up. Wow. So I was kinda like, yeah, I was just like, holy crap, you know. So that was kind of Wait, so you how know, long
1: was that? How many
0: was that two months? That was like well, let's see, Steel Like a Nurse came out. That would have been like five months five after months. the book came out. You okay. know. So or half a year. So, okay. yeah, it was just, you know, but that just seems like ancient history to me. The The weird thing that, that happened, though, after um, Steel Like an Artist came out is, uh, you know, my wife had our first son. So, uh, she was actually pregnant with Owen um, when I was out on book tour on Steel Like an Artist. So, I really haven't known what it's like to, you know, have a career and be out on your own without kids. Like I've done it the whole time while trying to like support a family. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a good moment, but it was, you know, it had its own challenges, but yeah, I just, I just never planned on anything cause that was my way of avoiding heartbreak. I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be ready if it comes, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to plan on anything. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of like let things come down the pipe and uh because because i'm not you know i think sometimes uh you know i'm someone who likes to sit around and read books i'm not someone who really i don't like sitting around thinking about how to make money all day that's not that's if i wanted to do that i would have gone to business school mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i just don't that's not my thing man i'm austin cleon and you're listening to the future.
2: Thanks so much for joining us in this episode with Austin Cleon. If you want to support the future, you can do that by going to our website, thefuture.com. You'll find courses and products and free downloads and links to all kinds of YouTube episodes and a ton of other content that we make that you can learn from. So if you want to help us, visit thefuture.com. Also, big thanks to Austin Cleon for being our guest in this episode. He was fantastic. The Future Podcast is hosted by Christo and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was edited and mixed by Stuart Schuster, and our intro theme music was composed by Adam Samborn. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a solid by going to iTunes and give us a rating. It is a tremendous help in getting the Future message out into the world, and it means a lot to us. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.